Welcome. Good to see you today. Thanks for joining us. I'm going to pull this back a hair. Give me some preaching space up front. Hey, good to see you. We're working through the New Testament, and we are currently in 2 Timothy. So that'll be the stuff that you'll be reading this week, 2 Timothy. My name is Andy, and one of the pastors here, I want to welcome you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I would like to also invite you to this Saturday, 9 o'clock, this Saturday, 9 a.m. Uh, Shannon already made an announcement on it about Discovery. Discovery uh, helps us, as she said, see the values of this congregation. It's not a discipleship thing. It's not a, uh, you know, read your Bible, pray every day, pay your tithes. It's not that deal at all. It's actually an explanation of why we do what we do. It's very much crawling into my head and my heart and the vision God has given me for this space and this community. And you can actually see it if you stand back on the corner of the sound booth. You can see our goals and our values and our pathway. The way we do ministry, the ministry model of this congregation is, you can see it from right back there looking through this room. And what I do on that Saturday for a couple of hours from 9 to 11.30 or so is simply unpack that. Tell you why we exist. Frankly, let me tell you this. Ministry is very, very rewarding, but it's also really hard. And there are easier ways to make money. And if we don't have a niche, let's go do something else. Let's join something that's already happening. I don't need to replicate. Like, we have a Chick-fil-A right here. We don't need one next to it. And now there is a Popeye's right next to it, but they don't do the same thing. They don't make the same sandwich. They don't have the same business model. They both make chicken sandwiches, but if you've been to both places, you know they're different. So that actually affects how we present the gospel and how we exist around here to recognize that there are, I was told when I first moved here, 200 churches in Terre Haute. You have some options, right? 200 churches. If we don't have a niche, let's find somebody else doing it real well and just join them. I actually think the vision here has a niche, not least of which would be that those two banners aren't the same. Salvation and freedom are not the same, and then we just walk it out from there. So, this Saturday morning, 9 o'clock, and I would really say if you haven't been to a discovery in the last year, last year and a half, it's different than what you experienced. I welcome you to be here. We're going to plan to meet in Romine Hall, which seats upwards of maybe 30, 40 people. We usually have about 8 or 10 people that come to that, and it's usually folks that are just kind of getting around the church, just, just maybe attended a few times and want to see what's happening. I'm extending a personal invitation to you all, and folks not even here that you know typically are here, join us this Saturday. This is the last one that we're going to do in this calendar year. We're going to do October. We're not having one in November. We're not having one in December. This is the last one. So beyond the fact that it's an excellent time to meet somebody and actually connect with somebody for a couple hours, have that, which is something we value, it will also be something to catch you up Dial you in, we say it like this, this is how we make our salsa. Like, I would drive past a lot of uh, Tex-Mex Mexican restaurants. I'd drive 45 minutes. We lived in Baltimore. We would drive 45 minutes to get to Chevy's because what they did with their salsa was they took the jalapenos and they took the onion and they took the tomatoes and they took all that and they put it right on the coals. No great needed. Right on the coals and charred it. And then they'd seed it and grind it all up. Oh, my goodness, that smoke. We spent some gas money, drove past who knows how many Mexican restaurants to get to the one that we loved how they made their salsa. And that's where that comes from. There's a particular way that we make our salsa around here. And that's actually not changing. We want you to be able to be a part of that and see the vision of that. So I welcome you, not just folks that haven't been before, not just folks that would consider yourselves new, but that first time or hundredth time, I'm talking to the hundredth time, folks. And if you haven't been to one in the last year or so, please join us this Saturday. Please sign up on the Church Center app so we know. But if that doesn't happen and a bunch of people show up more than we have room, we have options. <laughs> we'll come down here and we'll talk through some of that. But I want you to be able to be a part of that. I, I don't usually say anything about it, maybe just a here and there or how good it was the previous day. 
But I'm pitching that to you today. I felt that this morning. I wanted to make sure that I took the beginning part of my time with the microphone to invite you to be a part of that. There's no charge, of course. Uh, we try to have some breakfast refreshments, and we try to get you out by noon for sure. So this Sunday, I'm sorry, Saturday, 9 to noon, be wonderful to see you here. Okay, so we are going through 2 Timothy. Now, 2 Timothy... I got any preachers in the house? Huh? <laughs> it's good to see you, man. Second Timothy is a preacher's gold mine. Second Timothy is a preacher's gold mine. So I'm looking through these chapters. It was First Timothy chapter six, and then Second Timothy one, two, three, four. Had four chapters to pull from. I just want to show you some of these things. You ready, Jeremy? You ready to keep up? All right, buddy, here we go. If you look at chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, this is powerful. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also that can preach. The power of generational faith from person to person, but that's not what I'm preaching. Look at chapter 2. If you look at chapter 2, verse 4, there's this whole thing, it's actually 4, 5, and 6, but in, in 4 it says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. And then the next verse talks about a, a farmer and an athlete and how they're disciplined and how we focus on the power of that and we give ourselves to that. And the fruit of that labor, powerful to preach. I'm not preaching that. Chapter 2, same chapter, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, kicking into some KJV right there. Present yourself to God as a workman approved. God looks at you and he says, approved. I approve of that. I approve of how you're discerning the scripture, rightly dividing does not need to be ashamed, correctly handles the word of truth. That can preach all day. We could do lunch on the grounds and come back. Like that is powerful. To be that workman, not preaching that. Chapter 3 kicks off with several verses here. Paul says, mark this. There will be terrible times. In the last days, perilous times come. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof have nothing to do with them. We can talk about having a form of godliness, but denying the power there is power in this walk with God. This is not just mental ascent. This is not just groupthink. He said that there will be power that comes on you. When he left, Acts 1 and 8, there will be power that comes on you. We could preach about that. 316, if you've been around church any time at all, a student of the scripture, you could pull from here, all scripture. God-inspired, God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We use the word of God so that we can be through and through, equipped, strong, ready for every good work. Can't tell you the number of times I've preached out of these passages. But today will not be one of those days. Chapter 4. You're going to read through that this week. Chapter 4 should be Friday. This is one we got hammered with when we were younger folk. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. I need you to work the nursery. Can't do it. You need to be instant in season and out of season, my brother. I need you here. Grass needs mowed. I can't do it. Oh, you need to be instant in. So we got a little bit of that. That might have been weaponized a time or two. Preach the word, 
But be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage, with patience, careful instruction. Timothy, one of my one of my personal favorites, and I could go hours on this one. Jeremy, you don't have this. It's not bad. It's not up there. With great patience and careful instruction. 2 Timothy 2, 26, says the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle. Gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. The work of the ministry, instructing people that oppose themselves. Anybody ever felt like you're your biggest problem? Like you're the one in your own way? We oppose ourselves. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those who oppose themselves. Lest, peradventure it says, God give them an acknowledging of the truth, a repentance that they may recover themselves. This is amazing. Out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Who's got you at his will? Oh, well, Satan does. He runs me around at his will. That's what it says. You're going to be reading all of these amazing, deep, rich passages this week. And then this one. You may not even know the Bible and be able to read this one. In 7 and 8, Chapter 4, I fought the good fight. Finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but all, also to all who have longed for his appearing. I fought a good fight. I have finished, kept the faith. Henceforth there is now laid up for me like being bilingual. You go from King James to NIV, back and forth. There is now laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Those are powerful, powerful phrases. Powerful, powerful, powerful scriptures. But this week, and I've not preached this before, I don't recall ever. This week, reading all through the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4, and reading these passages that I've preached so many times through the years and, and still find to be so powerful and meaningful, I was struck. Chapter 4, verse 9. Paul says all of these amazing things. And then he says, Timothy, do your best. to Come to me quickly. All of the power, all of the sizzle, <laughs> the ministry, the strength of all of it that Paul presents. Hey, Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. And then in verse 13, just a few verses later, he says, and when you come, bring me my cloak. That one that I left with Carpus at Troas. And, 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 and if you could also, would you, bring my, would you bring my scrolls? And especially the parchment. All that he discusses and all that he talks about, he wraps it up and the heading here says personal remarks. I want to talk to you today about a good friend, a warm coat, and a good book. A good friend warm coat and a good book. This is the last letter from Paul. First Timothy, I said last week, could have been the second book of Ephesians. Right? Paul wrote the book to the Ephesians, to the church at Ephesus, and, and Timothy was around there, and Paul was traveling, and he said, I, I need you to go back there and say some things for me. So he writes First Timothy, what we read last week, he writes that letter to Timothy. Timothy is the recipient, but he's the recipient to take it to the church at Ephesus. It could actually be the second book of Ephesians. He's saying, Timothy is a great guy. He's got my authority. And here are the things I'm wanting him to tell you, church of Ephesus. But this book, 
2 Timothy. There were still some things that needed to be corrected, but don't let it be lost on you that this one is to Timothy. Because this is the last one. This is the last letter Paul will ever pen. It's difficult to know in what state he was actually living. And he had final thoughts. You could say the book of 2 Timothy is the last one. That's his final thoughts. Well, I'm going into chapter 4, the final of the final thoughts. The last of the last words. A good friend, a warm coat, and a good book. And I asked myself this question this morning. How could the last request of a man at the end of life inform us on what to do in the middle of life? How could a last request from a man at the end of his life inform us a little bit better as a church? Do the work of the ministry, right? Didn't we read that? Inform us on what we could do not at the end, not as a last request, but something proactively meaningful in the middle. If you've ever heard of the Mamertine prison, you can tour it today. It's a prison in Rome. Out front it says the prison for the apostles, Peter and Paul. And you can tour it. Stone, damp, dark. They've built stairs, but there weren't stairs before. Walled off, not well lit. And the way you get from the auditorium, the foyer, to the actual prison of isolation, the dungeon, the literal dungeon, you can look it up. You can look it up this afternoon. Some of you with phones could even look it up now. (laughs) Right? You can look it up right now. And you'll see a picture of this open room, and then it looks like a manhole, like a pothole cover that's open. When I looked at that, they said they put ropes under Paul, and they would drop him down into that hole. And it was a room, if I could tell, and I'm anywhere accurate at all, it looked to be maybe, maybe the space of, from my arms around this ex- section of the platform, Possibly. Maybe that, about that size is what I was thinking. Half the platform. One commentator said 47 people were in there. Size of the platform. We thought we had a full stage last week. 47 people in this space. And then I looked at the size of that hole, and honestly, my thought was, Paul was a skinny dude. They would have had to say, Andy, we're going to have to kill you right up here, buddy, on the first floor. (laughs) We we can't get your hefty self down that hole. It was little. And there wasn't stairway. There are stairs now, but not then. And they would simply drop them into a hole. And they waited. No daylight, only candle light. One commentator said there was potential sewage. Of course, there was sewage for 47 people. Paul would be executed right there. In the Mamertine prison, Paul would be executed. That was it for him. He would be executed there under the siege of Nero. Peter was crucified upside down, but Paul was a Roman. He wasn't allowed to be crucified. That would have been illegal. So Paul was beheaded. As I think about what he's writing, as I think about what he's asking for, Peter did his time there. I don't know what he wrote or thought or connected. But Paul, we have an insight to see that he asked to have some time with a friend. Mentor, mentee, son in the gospel. But he's like, can you come see me? And if you could come quickly, that means so much to me. You've got to think of all the strength of Paul and all the stories. and all, I mean, it is a serious like prime TV reacher kind of, like Paul's life was like wild. But at the end, what matters? And he listed all those things, but the last thoughts were, can you come see me? I'd love to see you. Could you come quickly? 
Could you bring my coat? Could you bring me a couple books? As I was thinking through this, something that I picked up when I was a public school teacher in Baltimore, Maryland, came out of public school curriculum. I was a health teacher. It was the wellness star. The wellness star because there's a five-pointed star and five points to personal health and wellness. And it's mental and emotional and physical and social and spiritual. Mental, emotional, physical, social, spiritual. And recently in teaching at Next Step, we added a sixth. We added um, financial. So mental, emotional, physical, social, spiritual, financial health. Health in all of those areas. And when you have health in all those areas, right, how that, how that builds you up. And I don't even know why it came to me. Maybe God prompted it to me this morning. But I looked at this, a good friend, a warm coat, a good book. And what that does for us, so simple. A good friend, social and emotional. A warm coat, physical and financial. And a good book, intellectual and spiritual. I thought, how interesting that Paul's last words were to meet those six needs. In verse 9, he says, do your best to come to me quickly. How important it is to be a friend, how important it is to have a friend. The social needs of community. We can be in this room and feel isolated, and I know that happens for people. And I'm sorry, that's not the point. That's not what we're wanting to have happen. If you want to remain isolated, you're allowed to do that. There is a scripture that says to have friends, you have to be friendly. So you, there's kind of some stepping into some spaces, but we don't want you to be isolated in here. My name tag peeled off, but apparently yours didn't. You have lots. See them. Those are for a reason. Like we actually want to know you. We don't want you to be isolated. That happens, but we don't want it. We're a growing church. Years ago, those name tags came from Staples. I don't know, what were they? Uh, let's see, 6, 18 to a sheet or something. We'd print them all out. Huh? Remember that? If you block that from your memory, you ask the Lord to like put that behind you. It's under the blood. Oh, man, we'd be in here on a Saturday, and I'd lay out everybody's names. When it got to the last name, I did them by last name, and when it got to Moore and Cornfloss, I was there for a while, friends. I was like alphabetizing names and dads and brothers, and they didn't all come out the same way, so I had to move things around and pair people up with their kids and their families, and you might come up, it'd say Smith, it'd say Andy, Melinda, Emma, and, and J.O., Chip, it'd be right there, and I'd, we'd take all those. That's how we used to do it. Just a couple clicks above doing transparencies for singing, right? I mean, that, that was what was going on, right? And we laid them all out, and there were many, many times that I looked at that table. A lot of times I laid the name tags out. No resentment, no issue, happy to be the one that touches them, happy to be the one that looks at them, prays over them. And I look at that table, and I think that I knew every name on that table. And I think I knew a story about everyone on that table. That day has gone. That day is no longer here. I do not know everybody in this room. I don't know everybody in this room right now. Not my favorite thing to not know everybody in this room. Because I value you. I value being here, but I value you. Now, I know some of the stories. I know some of the stories why you're here, because people have told me, and I haven't even met you yet. And I guess I love that, too. But the point would be that it's not, our church is growing. And it's not going to be me knowing every single person. But the idea of connection, how valuable that is. And a friend, how valuable that is. And frankly, hear me, we can't lose that. We cannot lose that community, that sense of value and connectedness. We don't go into silos. It's a body, it's a family, and we will fight to keep that. We will fight to defend that. I'm encouraging you to change the way you see things and look around 
and recognize that. I am one of the pastors here. I have said that for eight years. And there is a reason that I started it saying it eight years ago. Because I knew as we grew, I'm only one of the pastors. And I need other pastors in this church to care for the body. It's called SAMHSA. One of the hardest acronyms ever to spell, because we all get it wrong. Is it MH or HM or is it SAMHSA? What is SAMHSA. Substance Abuse, Mental Health Services Administration. It's a federal program. In their knowledge and in their research and in their expertise, do you know that they've identified four pillars of recovery? Four pillars of recovery. When you come to Discovery this Saturday at 9 o'clock, do you know you're going to hear four pillars of recovery? I said it before I heard them say it, and they're the same. Is that a surprise? No. You hang around with people, you figure that out. That the needs that people have, they have a need for A, B, C, D. They have a need for acceptance. We all do. Everyone does. Belonging. A place where I can be. Community. And that's where there's reciprocity in the relationship. Where I open my heart, you open your heart, and we're authentic with each other. That's community. Acceptance and belonging and community. And D is to make a difference. The purpose in life. A, B, C, D. Acceptance, belonging, community, make a difference. Samson says, you need health and home. That's belonging. And community, they say it exactly, and purpose. That's right. They're not wrong about that. They're not wrong about those things that we need, the pillars of recovery. And to a mature believer, what you're doing here today is actually for someone else, almost always, for a mature believer. An immature believer comes to church for themselves and only for themselves. And when they're feeling good, they don't come because they're feeling good. But that's immature. That's not mature. A mature believer recognizes that I'm doing good. They could recognize that I'm struggling. But they're here, but we're here with the mindset of being here for someone else. There are folks in this room that are struggling I found out a need today, a situation in a person's life, very recent, like today, crippling, painful. That happens every Sunday we come here. This is pretty pronounced, pretty significant for this person. But for each person, there's significant moments. And you come here hurting. And folks get here, and you know what we celebrate? Let me tell you something. We celebrate that you're here. We celebrate that you're here. Because we know, regardless of how smooth you look, how put together you are, we know that it took something to get you here. That you had to push through some things. You had to work through some stuff up here in your head, some things in your heart. Some, some, some lenses that you had about church or God or Whatever, but you're here. We celebrate that you're here. And we recognize that when I'm praying, or I'm singing, or I'm worshiping, yes, I'm connecting to God for me, but did you know that I'm connecting to God for you? Now, here's why I'm not a good example of that because I'm on the clock right now, <laughs> I'm getting paid to do this. Years ago, one of the greatest regrets of my life, no kidding, a buddy of mine from the Navy, he and I were just buddies, we were living up in New England, and I was mentoring a student, he's like a fifth grade student, fifth grade guy, and my buddy and I, we took this guy out to like the batting cages and you know, the cars and all that business, right? We we're going to take him out to that. One of the greatest regrets of my life. I walked up and I said, we're going to need three tickets, please. I gave her the money. She gave me the tickets. She said, do you need a receipt, sir? I said, yes, I do. Fifth grader, 
leaned up and he said, so you're getting reimbursed for this? So I'm not the best example on a Sunday. <laughs> I'm getting paid to be here. But you're not. And your ability to love someone and be here for someone and look around and check out the room, read the room, let the Spirit lead you to be a good friend, to walk up to someone and simply say what is the truth. I just feel drawn to you right now. I don't even know what to say. How are you doing? That's the truth. Or you might say, I feel prompted to come pray with you. Would that be okay? Or I feel like I just need to come introduce myself. Because at the end of the day, in the 2 Timothy chapter 4 of your life, do you know what you're looking for? Just a good friend. <laughs> Someone that's just a good friend that you can just sit with and be with. What in the world was Paul thinking inviting Timothy into that space? It cost Timothy. It wasn't like when you visited someone at the prison that you're not behind all year. And you're like, man, I got to sit in this hard chair in the cafeteria and wait on this brother. That's pretty nice to where Paul was inviting Timothy. There were pictures that I saw of Timothy sitting next to Paul, and up in the ceiling was the hole. That he would invite him to sit in that space. It's pretty profound to consider. And that's really what I'm wanting to preach today. I just want you to consider. Just think about. Come quickly, good friend. Time together. Not isolated, not siloed. And then you look at verse 13. He says, when you come, which is really cool, isn't it? Isn't that really good? I know you'll come. I know you'll come. It's telling of the relationship already. Tony, I'd like you to come see me, man. Days are short. This is probably the end for me. I'd like you to come see me as a question. And then a few verses later, I say, hey, and when you come, There's nothing like that, is there? That person that you know, when you call them, they are going to be there. Did you realize that as powerful as that is for us as we receive that, we can be that person? And how beautiful in the body of Christ to be that person. It's, it's counterintuitive. You give so much. You're there, and then you're like, is it a sacrifice? Yes. Unless it's not. It's a sacrifice, yes, unless it's not. So Christina calls. Zach, Christina call. Andy and Melinda, can you come over? Yes, we can. And we do. And we sit there. Thank you for the sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice. There's a cute little curly-haired girl currently living in Birmingham. She needed her papa last weekend, or two weeks ago. She needed me. I hopped in the car and drove 900 miles at 15 miles a gallon, friends. <clears throat> Didn't regret one mile. Not one, not one moment in that trip did I say I wish somebody else would go. Sacrifice? Not really. Not really. The opportunity, the potential to be that face in someone's story. Are you feeling the privilege of that? Are you feeling the privilege, the God-honoring privilege 
of being a face in someone's story. This deal with the coat is interesting. Bring my cloak. <laughs> the physical aspect of that, because I'm cold. Something warm. The financial need, I don't have that, and I can't do it for myself. Can you help me? Please get that for me. When, when you're as fiery as Paul, when you're as dynamic as Paul, when you're Paul who reaches in to get some wood and an adder lands on his hand and he shakes it off. And the flippancy of the culture where Paul is in shipwreck and he's saved from shipwreck, they're like, you're a god. And then he gets bit by the snake, and they're like, you're a devil. And then he flips the snake off, and they're like, you're a god. <laughs> like, it's just, like, you know, just boom, 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 boom. You walk with God like that. You walk through and handkerchiefs and shadows, and people are healed all over the place. And when it comes down to it at the end of life, but what about the middle of life? How does that help us? Not at the middle, not at the end of life, to help the middle of life. I just need a coat. I read some quote about coats. Yes, I looked up coat quotes. It said, the coat that you have on a hanger in your closet is the coat that you need to give away. Yes. Yeah. And looking around, huh, Emma, Emma came home this week, and she was, she was with us for just home for 24 hours, and she was wearing an old shirt that I had, like an old button-down flannel shirt that I had, and she was wearing that. And I said, nice, nice shirt. That shirt is vintage 95, maybe? What's 95? 27 years ago? Looking pretty good. She's wearing that shirt. And she said, yeah, Dad. She said, this is like, I tell him, like, this is vintage. This was my dad's. And, like, my friends just want to touch it. <laughs> Do you have one of those shirts? Do you have a coat like that or a blanket or something? Like, where it just, you just wrap up in that, and it's an old friend. There's a story about this, you know. There's a story about the preacher walking along and seeing someone in need and stepping on the other side of the road. That's a story Jesus tells. And right after the preacher, the worship pastor, <laughs> comes right behind me and he sees someone in need, and he walks on the other side of the road. Because we are very busy. We are very, very busy with ministry. We have a lot to do. We have lots of God things that are important for us right now. I'm sorry that you're naked and bleeding on the side of the road and gasping for air. I have a sermon to prepare, and he's got song sheets. We're very busy with ministry right now. Do you think those people were selected at random by the Christ? Uh -uh. He's telling the story. He's telling the story of we who are one of the pastors here. That needs to change. From the mouth of the Messiah himself, that needs to change. And yet, the one ostracized, the social outcast, the good Samaritan, who wasn't so good, he was outcast. He's the one that stops, helps, touches, heals, mends, takes that person to a hotel, pays for it, and says, whatever else we owe, I'm good for that too. While we go about our ministry day, two of us missed the point. One of us got it. We talk about seeing a need and hearing a voice. Well, you have to see the need. See a need, hear a voice. Do you see the need? A couple of lights out in this, in this auditorium, have you noticed? 
Those aren't easy to, those aren't easy to replace. Chip opened the church today. I don't know what his problem is. I don't know why he didn't, like, fix those. There's one over there. Joe and I talk about that. We know those things. We see that stuff. There's light out here in the bank of lights. Do you see it? Oh, you see it now. Sorry, Joe. Joe's our facilities guy. His phone's going to be blowing up now. Get these lights fixed around here. Hey, you know what I'm trying to do for you? That exact thing. I just helped you see something that you didn't see. You know what I'm doing in this message today? Trying to help you see people that you're not seeing. Trying to help you see people that you're not seeing. You're sitting with them, but you're not seeing them. I want you to see those folks in this room. And it might be me. One time I came up here to pray. And I walked, I was sitting right there, and I just walked up during prayer time. And I stood here and prayed. This was probably a couple years ago. And I stood here and prayed. And I had a need. I have those too. And no one came and prayed with me. <laughs> and I went back to my seat. And of course, but I had a shot at the microphone later. <laughs> so, so I'm like, hey, just saying that if I'm praying up here, someone come pray with me. I get that it's a little odd or whatever. It shouldn't be. I, I'm, I needed prayer today. And then I put something out here to say, how about never again do we ever let someone be at this altar without someone else coming to them? How about we never let that happen again? Never. Where you see something, but you have to see the need. See a need, hear a voice. It struck me this morning... I think the challenge is this. When you actually have a coat, the needs of others just get quieter. Arnett, come on up. When you have a coat, I'm not sensitive to others that don't have a coat. Unless I put myself in that space. I have to step into that river. I have to intentionally step into that space. When all of my needs are met, and I have friends and family, and my house is a sanctuary, that is not the truth for everyone. And for us to be aware and sensitive and recognize that we journey together. Good friend, warm coat, good book. Leaders are readers. <laughs> Not all readers are leaders, but every leader is a reader. I guess that's what Paul was doing. Bring me some books, man. None of us know what those parchments were. Of course, people can, oh my goodness, all the hypotheses of what it might have been. Sometimes I've found that there are books that are just like an old friend to me. They've spoken to me. Not the least of which would be this one. Pages are marked. My parents' Bibles are in my office. Occasionally I'll walk by and just touch them. Occasionally I'll walk by and open them up and look at the markings that my parents found important. You know what I feel when I'm in that space? I feel power, I feel legacy. I feel something deeply foundational in my life that I didn't have anything to do with. A rock that I stand on is a blessing. And I want to be that for you. I want to be that for you. I want to believe in you that way. Preach the word that way. What's the book that you'd bring? Would it be the Bible? Would it be the Old Testament or the New Testament? And, and let's say New Testament. What would be the book that you take? I know the one that I would take. You, you just give me Hebrews. Just, just, just send me the book of Hebrews. The preeminence of Christ. How great and wonderful. 
And probably I'm going to need it, and I'm going to read in chapter 13 that he doesn't change. He's the same every day. And that, like an old friend, is going to anchor me. A good friend and a warm coat and a good book. Now, as I was sitting over here, I literally took out my pen and wrote one, one sentence. came to me while I was sitting over here, and I'll close with it today. Adam was alone. That's what I wrote. Adam was alone. So when we think that I'm good with Jesus... There's an old song, just Jesus and me for each tomorrow, for every heartache and every sorrow. I can depend, newfound friend under the end, it's just Jesus and me. Adam was alone. He walked with God every day, didn't he? Didn't he? What does it say? What time? Cool of the day. Adam walked with God every single day in the cool of the day. But it was God who said, it's not good for Adam to be alone. I would have looked at that and said, uh, he's, he's not alone. <laughs> he's with you. <laughs> and we all know that if it's just me and you, that's all it takes. Apparently not. Not because I'm trying to be cute, but because God said he's alone. Good friend. Warm coat, good book. We need those things. We're wired for those things. And I totally understand how we could step onto a platform and say, I just need Jesus. I don't really need any of that other stuff. There may be a day that you only have Jesus and all that stuff is gone. But I'm going to argue that the day will never come when you only need Jesus. Because he said Adam was alone. And so the recognition of connection and the recognition of our opportunity to be together, to be a face in someone's story, an actual face, I've got to join this right now. To see a need and hear a voice because you see a need. Melinda, I'm going to ask you to come up. I'm going to pray over us. Lord Jesus, change our eyes. Change our eyes. Help us see. Maybe you put glasses on us. Maybe you put a lens on our eyes. Help us see the needs around us. Paul, the greatest of apostles. A man with power, not word only, but power of the Spirit who manifest your glory and your wisdom and your insight. And literally, at the end of the day for him, he had things to say about it. He just requested a good friend and a warm coat and a book. So God, as this church grows, as systems become more complex, as things get harder and touches get more difficult. In the name of Jesus, I pray, by all the authority you've given me, I pray that our touch, our connection, would never change. It will remain strong. It will remain real. It will remain true and vibrant. And we will be lovers of people as you love people. May your love pour through us. I pray that in your name, Jesus. So let's stay in this spot just for another minute. I'm going to have you process with each other so you can be thinking about a takeaway. Because this morning uh, we've had the privilege of being corrected, as Second Timothy talks about, and encouraged with great patience and careful instruction. So I'm just going to read you some of my notes, and then I would like you to turn to someone beside you 
and kind of make a plan or talk about what your desire is, what this is going to look like this week. Because remember, this is icing on the cake. And our Christianity, we're going to walk out of this building and we're going to join life again. And what is this going to look like this week? Good friend. Warm coat. Good book. Our ABCs. Being accepted, which is a sense of value and connectedness. Our community, not only we've just connected as a community right here today, there's a whole community that we represent. And then, of course, when we go to work and we go home to our family and we go for a walk with that friend, we say hello to someone in the grocery store. That's our community. Belonging and making a difference. So, our pastor prayed for us today, one of our pastors, our ability to love someone and letting the Spirit lead us, not just in this hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes that we're together, but actually in the back here or in the bathroom or out in the parking lot or when you text someone or meet them for coffee or you're praying for someone in the morning or in the evening, whatever your prayer time looks like. Or that book that you're reading that you share. Or those clothes that you don't wear anymore that you share. Or that new item you saw at TJ Maxx that made you think of someone. Do you see the need? So when you turn to each other, will that change the way you see things? May I pray for you? Let me introduce myself. A face in someone else's story. It's a privilege. So, here we go. Just take a minute, turn to whoever you're sitting by, and just, what's my takeaway? What is it I want to do this week? I was thinking about this. I never thought about that. Go ahead. <laughs> 